chapter twenty two a fuel of fire this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. fuel of fire by ellen thornycroft fowler chapter twenty two the lanes again in spite of all the ways you tried to stifle him with vain endeavour love never for a moment died but lives for ever baxendale no doubt ought to have rejoiced to find that his suspicions were incorrect so far as lady alicia was concerned he felt this very strongly himself and acknowledged in his heart that his modified satisfaction proved him to be a most undutiful son yet he had an excuse so he had convinced himself in the fact of the guilty persons being neither his mother nor nancy so that the exculpation of the one meant the implication of the other wherefore the dutiful son gave way to the devout lover which was human nature none the less he repented him of having done his mother an injustice although lady alicia's confession of her unlawful intention robbed this injustice of most of its grossness and he tried in every way to make up to her for the imagination of his heart by an unwonted tenderness yet he could not conceal from himself that his cup of misery was well nigh overflowing so long as a doubt existed in his mind as to whether of the twain was the culprit he was able to give the benefit of the doubt to nancy he had been wretched enough no doubt yet the fact that the guilt of neither was assured seemed somehow to relieve both of the stigma now however he knew that his mother was as good as guilty and he also was driven to the conclusion that her actual innocence fixed the crime on nancy consequently his heart was filled with grief and bitterness nancy a culprit that was the fact the horrible fact that stared him in the face he hated himself for doubting her yet as he turned the matter over and over again in his mind his reason would not let him come to any other conclusion it is hard for a man when his reason apparently makes it impossible for him to believe the truths he learned as a child it is harder still when his reason takes an opposite course and makes it impossible for him to believe that the one who is dearer to him than life itself is worthy of his love at this period of his life baxendale went through a time of storm and stress that left a lasting impress upon his character he did his best to tear nancy from his heart but it was all in vain it may be possible or it is sometimes necessary for a man to pluck out his offending eye or cut off his offending right hand but to exercise from his heart the woman who has firmly ensconced herself therein is an operation which a certain type of man cannot perform and yet live of which type was lawrence baxendale the memories bitter memories they were of her lovely eyes and her bright wit of her sweet temper and cheerful stoicism of her tolerant good nature and tender sympathy would come back and flood his soul at such times his heart would rise superior to his reason and he would swear to himself that one so sweet and noble could never be guilty even for one she loved of conduct so dishonourable 
then would come the reaction of common sense and the facts which all pointed her out as the doer of the deed became unto him convincing evidence yet throughout all this turmoil of doubt and despair he loved her still nay he loved her better than ever he seemed possessed by an overmastering passion which he strove in vain to control then arose a struggle in his heart between his love and his pride pride demanded the sacrifice of nancy on the altar of stainless ancestry and outraged family propriety love putting in a pitiful little plea for mercy which he felt had no justification whatsoever that mercy would tend to his own personal satisfaction and comfort was to baxendale a powerful argument in favour of severity he would not have been the fit descendant of men who had died in defending the property of the church in the time of henry the eighth and in supporting the cause of the king in the time of oliver cromwell if this had not been so thus the struggle went on a struggle which was none the less severe because silent and which told on baxendale more than he would have cared to own he shunned society more than ever he became irritable and moody he carried out all the routine work of the estate with exemplary care but he had plenty of time on his hands as he abjured any companionship he devoted his spare time to wandering about and thinking of nancy and holding the balance between pride and his love but he never went into the lanes where he and nancy used to walk in the golden days of old that he felt was more than he could bear matters also were going on very hardly with nancy she was one of those women who were like thoroughbred horses she would go on until she dropped but it was borne in upon her that the time of dropping was near at hand although she likewise had hitherto studiously avoided the lanes one afternoon when she was feeling specially low a curious idea came to her that she would go to the stile where lawrence had first kissed her and there bid farewell to her brief spell of perfect bliss by some subtle action of that force which men in their ignorance call chance though it may be the providence which shapes our ends lawrence baxendale became possessed of a similar notion on that same afternoon he had lately been finding the struggle to forget nancy a little too much for him pride though making a gallant fight of it was playing a losing game it only wanted a little more at a touch he was although he knew it not prepared to yield so it came to pass that he found himself almost to his own surprise wandering down the winding lanes where he and nancy had passed such happy hours the sweet memories of those days of bliss came back to him and with them a passionate desire to see that dear face again ah how sad it was when he saw it to kiss again a look of happiness into those blue eyes to bring back the old brightness the old mirth what mattered those dead and gone ancestors of his what mattered his own pride of race compared with nancy had not his mother meditated the very deed for which he condemned the girl it was for no mercenary motives he knew that she had done the deed in a moment of thoughtlessness she had done it for love for love yes her love for him was so great that she had dared even a crime for his sake he looked into his own heart and asked himself who was he to pass judgment upon her he had never committed a crime it is true yet did he not confess himself every sunday a miserable sinner and with truth and should he a sinner like the other galileans 
condemn her for a mad deed done for love as he thought on these things he looked up and behold there was nancy herself at the stile she did not see him but at the sight of her the last vestige of pride disappeared he was filled with a passionate love but with his love there came a new feeling humility while not condoning nancy's fault he condemned himself for his pharisaism for how did he differ from him who thanked god that he was not as this publican dare he approach her dare he speak to her how would she receive him these thoughts crowded thickly upon his brain he hesitated for a moment and then walked on my darling he said softly nancy looked up with a startled cry you you she cried why do you come here to torment me you have destroyed my happiness and spoiled my life can you not leave me to die in peace lawrence was stricken with remorse at her words still more at the sight of her face nancy he whispered gently can you ever forgive me i have come to tell you that i am sorry i was mad when i said that we must part i cannot live without you sweetheart i love you i love you nancy still looked at him with dilated eyes she seemed not to have heard a word he said so you have come to gloat upon the ruin you have wrought to see what a wreck a woman can become who has been fool enough to love a man truly a kind thought a manly action how can you speak so bitterly my own love i am here to own my fault and to beg your forgiveness can you not understand that i adore you that i cannot live without you nancy shook her head sadly you should have thought of that before it is your own doing you said that we must see each other no more you threw me aside without a thought if you now see that it was all a mistake you have only yourself to blame baxendale found this reception a rude shock he had looked at the matter from his own point of view alone and had supposed now that he was ready to overlook nancy's crime he had only to propose a renewal of their own relations to be received with open arms he was not prepared to find any reluctance on the girl's part to a renewal of their lease of love he had been so consumed by his conviction of nancy's guilt that he had taken for granted that she was aware that he knew it had never occurred to him to look at the matter from her side or to imagine that he had failed in any way in what was due from him to her so that her attitude came upon him with a shock of surprise he was in a difficult position he was anxious nay eager to take her again to himself he had a passionate desire to clasp her in his arms and swear that nothing in heaven or earth should separate them again but he could hardly say to her my dear i know you are a criminal but i am prepared to overlook the fact and unless he said something of the kind it would be hard for him to explain his past conduct should she demand an explanation he had expected her to jump into his arms at the first hint of a relenting from his stoical attitude it was perhaps a useful lesson for him to find that pride was not a monopoly of the baxendale family so many families have an idea that pride and sensitiveness are peculiar to themselves as white cattle to chartley and black rabbits to hawkstone 
i know i have only myself to blame he said at last humbly but you would be merciful and forgiving if you knew the state of misery i have been in for the last six months it has been all your own doing i know it but that makes it the worse hell is not the less hell because a man has prepared it for himself said baxendale with some bitterness and do you suppose i have not been miserable too in your pity for yourself have you never had a thought to waste on me cried nancy it is the old story a man plays with a woman's heart as he plays with a football it is a good game and requires some skill and when the heart is broken and he cannot play with it any more he just gets a new ball and goes on with the game one ball is as good as another for him naturally being a man it is the game itself he cares for not the necessary implements heaven knows you are doing me an injustice cried baxendale passionately i have loved you all through when i have seemed most cold and most heartless i have adored you most you had a strange way of showing it i hoped and thought you would forget me when you were in fresh scenes and saw new faces no one knows how cut to the heart i was when i saw your face on your return and recognized how much you had suffered why did you not tell me so asked nancy why did i not replied her lover i cannot tell you you must not ask me but believe me my darling that i love you more than life itself i am filled with remorse for all the suffering i have caused you and if you will only forgive me i will have but one object for the future your happiness nancy did not speak so lawrence went on i cannot offer you a luxurious home such as you are accustomed to but i can at least offer you reasonable comforts my mother you may have heard is about to marry again for the future i shall not have her to support nor here lawrence winced have to pay the premiums on the insurance i do not wish there to be any mistake so i will say at once that i cannot it is not i will not but i cannot take the insurance money but my income though small will enable me to maintain you without that baxendale paused after this lengthy and somewhat unlover-like speech on the whole he might have done worse during the recitation of these prosaic details nancy had time to recover herself and the subtle influence of the man began to make itself felt when lawrence paused nancy said you don't suppose i care a straw about your money or your comforts or your luxuries do you lawrence was quick to perceive a change in her tone nancy darling he whispered don't you know where we are don't you remember the dear old style and the lovely times we used to anticipate it cannot be all over you will forgive me won't you you love me i know you love me and we could be so happy together as he spoke his arm stole gently round her waist nancy did not withdraw herself though she stiffened slightly sweetheart he went on and his voice shook in its passionate entreaty you do not know how much i love you i adore you i love your sweet eyes i love your dear face look up my beloved surely the winter is over and the summer is at hand you love me my darling say that you love me and will forgive me you said that it was better that we should see each other no more if i did i lied you preferred your pride to me if i did i was a fool but love glorious love has conquered pride and you have conquered me they had walked a short distance from the stile now by mutual consent they turned and walked back in silence when they reached it lawrence again whispered nancy my own darling cannot you love me just a little 
and nancy looked up with swimming eyes she did not speak but her look was enough for lawrence their lips met in a long kiss and the estrangement was at an end and they were happy supremely happy ridiculously happy for the time lawrence forgot his suspicions indeed he determined to blot them out of his remembrance as for nancy the bloom already began to come back into her pale cheeks and her blue eyes were bright with her deep love lawrence dear she said you have made me very miserable in the past but i am almost glad of it because now it throws up the new happiness like something done in bas-relief or looked at through a stereoscope don't you know and you forgive me my own i forgive you but on one condition that you never refer to all this horridness again let it be as if it had never been we won't remember the miserable time we will be happy in the future when nora and i were little and the games went wrong and we quarrelled over them we used to say let's pretend it didn't happen and then we began the game all over again in peace it was such a good plan because it didn't leave any sore places and now i say again let's pretend it didn't happen and we'll begin the game all over again and leave no sore places and so they went on hand in hand wrapped up in their present bliss and in spite of all her cleverness it never once entered nancy's head that her lover indeed suspected her since his present behaviour seemed so satisfactorily to prove the contrary so little do men and women even when they are in love with each other read each other's inmost thoughts End of chapter twenty two